Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And it is Tuesday, uh, January 25th. Mm-hmm. We have three kids. Uh, we have four kids, three <laughs> of whom are playing in the library just outside the door. So if you hear background screaming, it's them. They're ages 10, 9, 11. and 7. 11, 9, and 7. And our three-year-old is upstairs taking a nap, right? She is in her room. But not, not necessarily. She she doesn't nap very much these days, as much as I try, which is very frustrating to me because I have been a fairly successful nap scheduler with all of our other kids and a bedtime scheduler. And she skips naps regularly, sometimes because we're having a family ski day or are just out and about or we have friends over and it just doesn't seem fair to force her into bed knowing what she is missing because she can actually hear kids playing outside of her door. And so on the days when I do want or need her to nap, and by need I mean her attitude reflects a very, very tired toddler who's stretched beyond her capacity, Mm -hmm. Uh, she often doesn't because her body is not accustomed to... she murdered the battery on my iPad today. (laughs) It was like fully, fully charged... When I got up this morning. No, I think it was at like 30% when I gave it to her. Was it only at 30%? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because it was like 90 last night. I just, oh, I, 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 I noticed that it wasn't night. super high when I gave it oh, to her. Okay. The reason, you guys, that Faith, our three-year-old, had JR's iPad is she is addicted to drawing tutorials from the YouTube channel Art for Kids Hub, which I'm sure many of you also know and love, given the fact that all of his videos literally have millions of views and she goes through almost I would say probably half of the preschool playlist that he has almost every day I set her up with markers and she loves my the biennio expensive alcohol-based ones once you use those it's hard going back to Crayola they're just so much nicer and richer the problem is they bleed through and leave very hard to get out stains on it, everything you color on. So that's but why we use our dining room table. Those of you who have not seen... to use the dining room table. Those of you who have not seen our dining room table, Molly and I bought it, or you bought it new before we got married, right? hmm And uh, over the course of many years, it got well used. And then at some point, you decided to deliberately take a ball pin hammer to it. By the time we moved out of our old peen, house, when Titus was five, Lily was three, and Elise was one, there had been some instances of dogs being on the table to steal food that had scratched it up, and a couple of other kid instances, and it was, we bought this house right at the height of Chip and Joanna Gaines and Fixer Upper starting to soar into popularity. And so I decided to age the table, chalk paint the chairs and the table legs. And then, yes, when we moved in here, I didn't really love how the top of the table had turned out. So I decided to let it show signs of being well used by a family. Anyway, over six years now that we've been here, I think six years we've been in this house, the table has crazy fun character. And, you know, we'll have big meals around it and everything else. But then you don't have to. It's been brilliant because you don't have to worry about spilling nail polish or, 
getting permanent marker on something or dripping you know wax on it or whatever whatever it is the kids crafty thing they're doing on now it just adds to the whole like jam yes so we when we paint i don't put down protective stuff i don't and when the kids are all done and out of the house you know what we're gonna do we're gonna seal it clear coat seal i clear coat seal it about every year oh that's funny so it's got layers of sealant over the top of it that's fun so if you haven't if this is your first time joining us um first of all thank you for joining us um, we tend to, uh, Molly and I are obviously married. You figure that out. We tend to talk about whatever sort of Molly's been thinking about and musing on for the past week. She doesn't talk to me about it ahead of time. So it's a fresh conversation between the two of us. Usually. <laughs> what did, um, what did I tell you? I was dying to talk to you about on our drive on Saturday. And then I did I talk said, to you about it. I said, write it I, down. And I didn't. It's gone. <sighs> It was something we were, because you wanted to save it for the show. It was something that you'd listen to or we'd talked about or something. I know it had to do, we can dive into this because I do remember some of the things. It had to do with the talk that I went to on Friday night by Christopher Yuan. Yes. Who, if you guys don't know, is he grew up, he's, he's fairly well known as a speaker on homosexuality and same-sex attraction. He grew up in a Buddhist household in the suburbs of Chicago, and he's written his testimony in a book called Out of a Far Country, and it's kind of a cool book, first of all, because his testimony is just such a great testimony of God's saving grace and his saving power, and also it's co-written with his mom, who was just a crazy prayer warrior in on his behalf and was actually led to the Lord because of her brokenness over her son's lostness. They were Buddhist. I think I mentioned that they're Chinese and he, so she, she then became a tremendous Christian and prayer warrior through going to Bible study fellowship. And I have done Bible study fellowship for enough years. I don't do it now because I homeschool older kids, but I would love to go back someday. I just, I love the format. I love, I just love the format of BSF, the study as well as the way they laid out. And, and anyway, so I, I went to hear him speak. He gave a little bit of his testimony and then he mostly essentially did his next book, which is called Holy Sexuality. And it, I own the book. I haven't read it but I'm intrigued to read it. Babe, that's our marriage. Holy sexuality. Well, okay, so I'll give you you guys a little bit of a of a snippet. We I didn't go. He did several more hours of speaking on Saturday morning, and I know at least one person who listens to this, Addie, went on Saturday morning. But, and my mom. So that's at least two people who listened to us who went on Saturday morning. So I'm not, I know I missed great stuff. And Deb, that's three. <laughs> Keep dropping names. <laughs> but anyway, um, what he discussed on Friday night and the topic of holy sexuality, I loved partly because I spend enough time as a single adult in the church to have a very strong sensitivity to being an unmarried adult in the church, and by the church I mean just a local church body 
where so much of church life seems to revolve around families and just in American life in general, I would say global life, probably it it's it's harder to feel like you have a place when you the world just seems to revolve around coupling up. And and I he just does a phenomenal job in this talk. And I assume then in his book about talking about what what is the goal for a Christian with regard to their sexual struggles and whether you struggle temptation wise with with where God has you in terms of being married or single or with where struggle with pornography or struggle with lust for the opposite sex or struggle with lust for the same sex. He says the goal is not to direct your lusts to heterosexuality because that's for to for it's just as sinful for a how do I say this a same sex fornicator as a heterosexual fornicator. And so the goal he says is to steward whatever temptation and thus whatever grace God gives you in your temptation into holy sexuality. And there were quite a few single people that I knew in the crowd and he is a celibate man who lived in absolutely wild. His testimony is so wild. He was the I think I did tell you this, JR. He mm-hmm. he was the supplier to drug dealers to the entire gay community in Atlanta. So he he was above being a drug dealer and he would throw these massive raves and um, and that would be the outlet for a lot of the drug deals that he did. But when he was arrested, he was charged with possession with intent to sell of the equivalent of like six tons of drugs. Absolutely wild. And he came to the Lord while he was in prison through a Gideon's Bible that he picked up out of the garbage, which is just so funny and cool. And he's like, you know, what would compel me to do that except the Spirit of God? And what would lead me into conviction of my sin? Because he said earlier his parents would visit him at his apartment. They visited him. They did that once. They showed up at his apartment in Atlanta once because he had completely cut them out of his life. And gave him a Bible, and he left. they left, and he threw it in the garbage. And it was his dad's first Bible because both of his parents eventually came to the Lord during the time that he was... Um, he had come out mm. and and was going down a real unhealthy path and he he had been coached there's a I don't know so much now it but but then there's actually a book that talks about what this the author of the book whose name I can't think of right now he calls it the gay script and it's it's basically okay so you you have a feel there's a secular script for so you experience same-sex attraction. Okay, so now this is the next thing you do, which is experiment on those attractions and see if that really fits who you are. And then the next thing you do is embrace that this is who I am. And then the next thing you do is you come out to your parents and you kind of bait. It. And this was years ago. I don't... The, the culture in America has changed so much. I don't know if this still fits, but say 2015 this still stood you would sort of bait your parents and set it up so that they would have this shocked outrageous reaction and then they would reject you and then 
and you would get coached by this by your your gay community that's encouraging you to come out to your family and then you go back to your your new family which is your the gay community and those become your new family your identity your people basically your everything and um the now I'm gonna have to try to Google who. It's funny that you they set it up to <clears throat> deliberately ostracize, and that require more discussion. So. He he talks about that in his book, Out of a Far Country. Yuan talks about that. It mm. it is really fascinating, and he didn't really realize it in the moment, but reflecting on it, he he says he was definitely set up to to create that. So apparently Christopher Yuan and, you know, Addie's husband, Rob, who Rob and I were contemporaries at Moody. Um, we were friends at Moody, too. We weren't just contemporaries. We hung out all the time. I was down in his dorm room all the time, but I don't remember Christopher at all. But apparently, like, Christopher was <laughs> right next door to Rob. That's so wild. <laughs> so and then I feel Chris- like I might have been on Rob's floor. No, I was never on Rob's floor. I was in that big tower downtown Chicago. And then... So, so speaking of that, he then went on to be a professor at Moody for a number of years, and he now, he left Moody so that he and his family, and he's, he's a great speaker too. It's not just that he has a great message. He's a very good speaker, and he says, my, my, he lives with his parents, and he, um, he both, as a way of having community around him and not being alone, but also because he believes that he's called to honor his parents and to care for them as they're getting older. So he lives with his parents and they all, and he says, we, we felt called to be missionaries. So we left my position at Moody. We left Chicago and moved to California. <laughs> so the heathen land of California or something like that. And yes, a, a place that is extremely lost by and large, but um, so a couple of things that I loved that he said, one of them was just the emphasis on on your identity. And in our culture, identity is defined by what you feel, what you want, and things that you do or are attracted to. So you're part of a Porsche club or you're mm-hmm. um, you do you know you're you bake or whatever it is your identity is defined by what you do as well as very much your hobbies and what your hobbies and then what you how you feel and your feelings as everybody i'm sure here listening to us knows your feelings define your reality and your reality gets to be whatever you feel and whatever you want your reality to be and yuan says as a Christian, and this is very, actually very offensive to the gay community to say this. And so he had some really great pointers on being honest and truthful with a truthful with a capital T while being gracious and loving, but saying your only identity is in Christ. Your full identity has to be rooted in in who Christ is and what he's done for you. And then your experience of temptation and things like that gets filtered through your identity in Christ. And I don't know how much of that he, I haven't really seen his name swirling in the debates about I am a gay Christian, which is a debate that 
our denomination, at least, and several others are really wrestling with is, can you modify what type of Christian you are? Or I'm, you know, I'm a black Christian. And he said, I'm a Chinese Christian. You know, I'm Chinese and I'm a Christian and everything about me is very Chinese, but that doesn't define my Christianity and that the Christianity is the most fundamental part of my identity. Hmm. So um, I I thought that was, it's always great to hear someone like him say that. I also loved, he he took a little bit of a detour and said, well, the detour was because he was talking about how to engage with friends or the gay community or friends that struggle with same-sex attraction. He said, one of the things is if you have a friend that you think struggles with their sexual identity, don't just ask them. <laughs> it's like that. There's nothing helpful about that. Hey, do you struggle with being gay? He said, Are you gay, man? What's going on? He said, create a safe space for them to know that you love them. And if they're a believer, you love them in Christ no matter what. And you want what's best for them. And he said, and this, and then this was the detour he took that really struck me as he said, and this goes for parents too. tell your kids, I love you every single day and don't assume that they know because you told them once or you sometimes tell them he's like, he says kids and I'm not even, he says, I'm not even a parent. And I know this <laughs> kids have amnesia. If you ask a kid to do a chore and five minutes later you said, did you take the garbage out? And they're like, oh, uh uh-uh, I forgot. And how often does that happen in this house? Did you brush your teeth? Oh, I was supposed to be brushing my teeth? Yes. Literally (laughs) three minutes ago, I asked you to brush your teeth. And we do this every night at this time. Why is it so shocking to you that I expect you to brush your teeth right now? You're sitting on the edge of the bathtub. That's what you're supposed to be doing in the bathroom right now. So that brings to mind two things. The first one, I think this was when in the car I said, um, I did do that with one of my friends. I created that. I was just a really good friend of my friend, one of my best friends in college. And, you know, he came out to me um, and he wasn't a student at the time. He was he was an employee. Um, he came out and I said, OK. And kind of just seemed, you know, responded exactly how you said. And then later after I graduated, probably about three years later, he sent me a nine-page love letter misinterpreting absolutely everything. So that can backfire on you. It, yeah. But, but <clears throat> secondly, less. Yeah, yeah. It can backfire on you. Right. But I would say that that's not your, your responsibility. No, it's not my your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be someone who love someone in Christ and trusts God with how, with the outcome of that relationship. Um, The second thing was your comment about telling your kids you love them. So we've had uh, yesterday specifically, there was a lot of conversation around corporal, corporal Mm -hmm. discipline, um, spanking. And, you know, various punishments for various age groups of children. And there was a lot of really good, um, really good uh, commentary on that on our Telegram channel, our Telegram group. We have a group, uh, Telegram chat group. So um, as with anything in the show, I'll include links in the show notes. But that 
telling your kids you you made a comment several shows ago, Molly, about having I think it was in our show, having a bank account sort of thing with uh with your kids or with your loved ones where you are depositing more than you're taking out. And you you build this um savings account so when you do have to take out of there you know crack down emotionally or crack down whatever uh, you you have the the capital to do that mm-hmm. otherwise kids just kind of you know grow up really just never hearing never knowing their parents love them or second guessing or you know um assuming that your parents just are always mad at you and you're just you're never living up to things and everything else um you know, I try to remind myself like with Titus or Lily or whomever, you know, that, you know, there's been times where I deliberately say, look, I love you whether or not X or whether or not you do X or mm-hmm. whether or not. And I think I want to say it was either Elise or Lily actually mentioned that one time in a comment. She said something like. Dad, you'll love me even if I don't X, right? Mm-hmm. You know? And you want to be like, well, of course, what's wrong with you? Hello. But kids have short-term memory loss. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that he said, well, there's two things. He said, "Always, you know, no matter who you're saying this to, I love you, comma, and... I want what's best for you. I love you, comma, and I'm going to, you know, X, Y, or Z. But never I love you, comma, but. Because the but erases what went before it. And we used to, when we taught at Peacemakers, we taught this all the Mm. time. If you're saying, if you're giving an apology, anytime you say, I'm sorry, but, you're basically throwing it back on them. Whatever you you say you're apologizing for, you're undoing it and probably making it worse. So don't say I love you, but to your kids, just I love you. And if but there's you something, need to behave. if there's something that you need to correct, <laughs> do it, it. Do it after you've affirmed, and maybe even do it in another conversation. And the other point that he made: not only do the kids have amnesia, and there's depending on the kid, the kid's temperament. I I don't remember ever feeling like, oh, my parents don't love me. But I think that there are kids' temperaments who feel, who need more affirmation from their parents, verbal mm-hmm. affirmation yeah. and things like that. And I'm thinking through the faces of our kids and in particular, well, I don't know. I Maybe our both of our middle girls will need... There's this self-doubt that they have and this, I, like, Lily, she's, she is so emotional and she gets so pouty. She tries to kill us with her glares. And then she'll just be so heartbroken about it at bedtime. It's always at bedtime. And she's just, I'm so sorry, mom. I'm sorry for how terrible I was today. And we talk about feeling stuck because she she knows that she's making life miserable for herself and for me, and she can't help herself, which is a fair way of recognizing 
one of the ways that sin traps us and one of the reasons that we need to practice self-control, but we also need to recognize that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit and it's a gift of God's grace in changing and transforming our hearts. And so anyway, particularly I'm thinking of her, there's this doubt in her own heart that's going to be telling her your parents don't love you when we're upset with her or when we're telling her no with something that she really wants or when we're telling her that something, you know, a boy has dumped her and we're like, I love you. And she's like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, I love you and God loves you. It doesn't matter. The people that count don't love me. And to, to have deeply in her heart a rootedness that that you are deeply loved by the people, i.e. God, and then your parents, who who matter most and who are always going to be there for you. God, again, more than the parents, because we are finite human beings. And also, Yuan pointed out that, and I think this is the last thing I have to say about his talk, but he pointed out that the culture around us is also constantly going to be telling our kids, your parents don't love you. And he said this is especially true for Christian parents. In general culture, if you watch most TV shows that are geared at teenagers, their parents are bumbling idiots. Their parents are out of touch. Their parents have major problems themselves that make them ineffectual in loving their kids or knowing what's best for their kids or helping their kids or if they're Christian or traditional parents, they're hopelessly out of touch with the, what's tolerant and what's right according to cultural standards. And so our kids need to know, I love you and I'm working to be wise and I'm working to create boundaries for you that are best for you now and just instilling that I love you and I love you and I'm here for you. I'm going to walk with you and help protect you and help you learn to love what is good and make wise decisions. Because when our kids get told by their own hearts or by the world around them that, do, do your parents really love you? I mean, it's the Adam and Eve, what, yeah. what, you know, what they felt, which is God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really want what's best for you. And we, as God's representatives, leading our kids into God's truth then get get maligned as part of the lie against God, which is they don't really love you and they don't really want what's best for you. It's the lie we deal with every day. Um, in a whiplash moment, on to other things, um, last night I had gotten kind of hungry. I was out and about with the kids, with the girls. So if you tuned into our show last week, you will hear about food and craving. And I had that Godiva dark chocolate bar that I bought at Barnes & Noble when I took Tito out a couple weeks ago. So you had some dark chocolate? I had some dark chocolate, so I took a piece and just savored it in my mouth. It didn't cure my craving. I just wanted more dark chocolate. <laughs> Maybe your body needed more <laughs> more magnesium. So I had more dark chocolate. And then you had a stomachache because you ate five bars of dark chocolate? No, I just ate the one cube. Because the Godiva bars are cut up into like... Cubes. Those squares. Mm -hmm. So I had one of those and then I had beer. Well, I had beer before dinner. That was really good for my craving. That fixed my craving. 
Right. So you mm-hmm. needed um, the probiotics that come in a good fermented beverage. Yes. <laughs> See, this I is do. this is the hardest deceitful oh, above man. all things. I can justify every craving mm. now by saying that it's something my body Ooh, needs. Uh, <laughs> yes, I like this new jam. This is the this so, is the sliding scale well, of self righteousness. I was gonna say there's a lot of people that you don't ever listen back to the show, and and I tend to listen to a fair bit of it when I edit. Or at least when I go to, to mix it down and everything else. And microphones are super sensitive. We record the show in our studio here, uh, at my studio in the basement. I've got a, an old storage room that I insulated and sound treated. And it's now I use it for all my music and, and things like that. And we have a little corner um, that we use for our... We, we speak in. We sit and talk in, and the microphone's really sensitive. It picks up movements. Like right now, I'm, I'm being anal retentive and fixing a curtain. And it picks up, you know, my pants here. And then occasionally we sip. Molly and I are always drinking something here. And I'm eating mm-hmm. I'm eating a chocolate truffle, and it's really good. What, though, were you... Normally, you have tea, but you have, like, foam in the top of your whatever I had a green tea latte. Did so, you add milk and use your little frother steamer thing? I did. I brewed some green tea, and then I added less than half a teaspoon of honey Hmm. and then i frothed some half and half green tea is very good for you and i have been trying to research getting my sense of smell back i lost my sense of smell in september and i can smell a few things as you guys might have guessed she had covid sometimes smells are really funky to me like popcorn smells metallic to me and tastes metallic to me even though I didn't feel like my sense of taste was really uh, affected until after the fact but I one of the things that I have discovered one guy recommends taking vitamin A as well as one of the Bs. So I've been taking a B complex and zinc, which I struggle with because it makes me feel like I'm going to throw up. And then this this compound called PQQ. I don't know what it stands for. I just Googled it. It, it apparently helps your mitochondria and your cell regeneration and the the loss of the sense of smell seems to be nerve damage, and so those huh. cells need to be regenerated. And so this thing called PQQ supposedly, possibly helps with cell regeneration. Oh, interesting. And I don't really want to buy another supplement. And green tea, kiwi, and a couple of other things are supposed to be decent sources of pqq so i ate two kiwi fruit this morning and i'm drinking green tea which is also high this is ironic it feels a little bit ironic it's green tea has caffeine right so it gives you an energy boost but it also has a compound called l-theanine in it which is supposed to relax you and help with sleep so weirdly it gives you a high and then helps your body self-regulate into relaxation so 
Anyway, I'm drinking. It gives you a high and then puts you into relaxation mode. I guess so. I need some of that. Green tea. <laughs> Green tea, I tell you what. There's lots of, supposedly lots of benefits. It has a lot of oh, antioxidants in sorry. it, too. I should so. make drug jokes on the show. I'm sure I'm mortifying some listener out there. Uh, yeah. <gasps> Dear God, are you really so... Sorry. Oh, speaking of drug jokes, not jokes, just drugs. Just drugs. So I'm listening to the audiobook from, speaking of last week's podcast... What's the guy's name now? Matt's the the guy who was interviewed on the podcast that we Mark Schatzker. <clears throat> Mark Schatzker. I'm listening. I'm still listening to his book, The End of Craving. I think I've gotten through two chapters since the our last podcast, and he's talking about how drugs um, create a dopamine release in our bodies. And there is scientists in understanding the trying to understand the effect of drugs on our body have discovered that there's a difference between does it get like okay I'll say this and then I'll back up there's a difference between desire and wanting something and pleasure and being satisfied by something and so what happens with drug addiction and any addiction actually is our brain desires this dopamine hit that the that the addiction will do and it's a disorder what what happens is a disorder of desiring and there's a mismatch between the desire and the effect that our body and our minds expect will get when that desire is fulfilled and the actual pleasure that we'll get. So for example, with it to go back to the potato chips or the dark chocolate thing, the wanting the potato chips is a is a wanting the dopamine hit of the potato chip bag, but it doesn't actually create the pleasure that is consummate with the desire. Does that make sense? I'm not I'm not making yeah. sense like Yeah, did. the 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 potato chip, because I'm thinking about, you know, how they're kind of wavy and they just sit right on your mouth just perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's about to be scientifically engineered and they just crunch and they're really delicious and they're salty and I want one. Now you're thinking about um, it. Now I'm thinking about potato chips. You can't stop um, thinking about them now. But the desire, the pleasure I get from that doesn't quite match my desire to want something. So eating one will mm-hmm. not satisfy that craving. Right. You need to eat the whole bag. And you might still, Once you might, pop, you can't stop. You might still not have have the satisfaction that matches the wanting that your brain created in wanting that thing. Which interestingly also happens with pornography, pornography addiction. You want a hit, and maybe this is TMI for people, but I'm going to say it anyway. the The chemical release in your brain. From having a self-stimulated orgasm versus a a mutual intercourse orgasm, like in marriage, you, there's a different chemical release in your brain. Every dude listening to the show will tell you, you that. that self-pleasure is not nearly as fulfilling it's actually, as actual pleasure. Right, so that's your anecdotal. There is a chemical reason for that, and it's the difference... It's the desire pleasure mismatch that he's describing mm-hmm. in and so um it is, I, it is a very real thing. 
I just think it's fascinating listening to this. I was listening to it last night while you were out with the girls going to the store and eating dark chocolate. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many spiritual application for, applications for this. Specifically, any idol, anything that we want and we think is going to fulfill us apart from God, the source of all good, is not going to truly be fulfilling for us. And it's incredible to me that he created our very cells and our brain to teach this to us. That when we're telling our kids, you know, um, don't eat the whole bowl of ice cream, you think it's going to be good for you and you're going to want to barf afterwards. Or you might actually barf afterwards sexually. Don't go just pursue whatever you want. It may seem like Christopher Yuan, in the height of his drug dealing and sex orgies, like that he had it all, and he thought that he had it all then, and he didn't. He didn't, now that he's looking back and being honest with himself, and not even that, the high school football star who can have any girl that he wants. Don't desire what he has. Desire what is truly good for you. Because there is a desire satisfaction mismatch. And if you're pursuing satisfaction by what the dopamine hit of desire or the idolatrous heart desire is telling you you want, pursuing that is going to lead, first of all, to emptiness. And second of all, to a very vicious cycle of pursuing more and more of the same thing that's you never becoming, satisfies. You end up becoming that rat in the corner who's buzzing that thing to get the hit right last week um the challenge yes and so like when i i've got i mean myself and friends you know we struggle with pornography it's the unfortunately it's i think it's the way men are wired for the most part a lot Um, of women struggle with pornography these days when i'm encouraging my my friends and myself and it's it's asking god to change my desires Mm -hmm. change what i want so often we can get hung up on trying to change the behavior Mm -hmm. and that's, we do need to put things in place to help us change that behavior, but you've got to change the desire that has, that's encompassing as well. You've got to encompass that desire, that change of desire. And then that's when the, the real challenge and the real rub comes along is when you just desire that. And you're like, I know I shouldn't desire it, but I do. Yeah. I, have been thinking about motivations and gospel in other contexts, but it mm-hmm. totally connects here. Um, we, when the desire is still there, even when you're training your heart, working to train your heart to desire what is good, you still just have to say no. You still just have to do what's right. When sometimes it feels impossible. When you have a kid, as I did on Sunday, who did something that required apology and just flat out refused to apologize. And you try giving time, you try giving a snack, (laughs) even in the middle of time out, because angry is a real issue in our home. When you try, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and you remind of love and you remind of the promise of forgiveness and open arms of grace, but you still have to say, I am sorry for X, and that's, you get met with a stony face 
that reflects a hard heart, it doesn't matter what your desire is. I'm selling my kid now. You just have to do what's right. You have to say out loud, if the kid is old enough, I'm sorry for X. You have to do what's right and you will have consequences until you do that. Period. Same thing with an adult. You may not want to go to church on a Sunday. You may not want to deny yourself X, Y, or Z. You may not want to do whatever God you feel like God is calling you to do. Whoever knows the good he's ought to do and doesn't do it since. Whatever, fill in the blank. Even if your tastes have not yet evolved to what is best and what is good for you, you do it because it's right. On the other hand... The goal, right, is following God's law is what's best for us. It's beautiful. God is the most desirable thing that we could have. And if it if something is consistent with God's character, it should be the most desirable thing for us, given all of the options. Something that's consistent with what is true, what is it, Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things because those are things that are consistent with the beauty and goodness of the God who made us, the God who saved us, the God who loves us in every step of our sinful, fallen existence. Well, and I I think it was just this morning that I was reading, um, so I love reading the Psalms. And I think it started with that, um, that years ago, we took a trip to visit your brother in New York and we attended um, Redeemer and Tim Keller was preaching through the Psalms. And I think it was, he was preaching through far, part of Psalm 105. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And he was comparing. That's Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Um, guardrails and laws and um what I loved was um, it just it painted the whole picture, the whole picture of loving God's law in a whole different light. Even even in a new covenant where we don't have to, our righteousness is not dependent upon our obedience to the law. Um, I was reading through it yesterday morning and just was struck or this morning struck with how much David was like, help me love your law. Help me mm-hmm. love your law. I don't. Which is okay. So here's what's been here's <laughs> what I've been thinking about that is so fascinating to me. In that regard, law is gospel because this incredibly good news that what what is good for us is good, and we can develop tastes that what is good for us is good. So, um, you know whether we're Going back to the podcast again, like in in an undefiled world, what we desire to eat is actually what our bodies need for nourishment and for thriving. In in an undefiled heart, what I desire to do and the relationships I desire to pursue and the activities that I do are glorifying to God and help me to enjoy Him and the world that He has created forever. Obviously, we don't live in that undefiled world, and so our tastes, both our physical taste buds as well as our desires, are defiled. 
But what's so interesting to me is we can also turn, so so the law in that sense is good news for us. It's good for us. It's good news. And we can love, we can and should love the law. We can use what traditionally in our circles we define as gospel. We can use that as law. Like, eat your vegetables. They're good for you. Not try this Brussels sprout. It's covered in bacon and maple syrup, and it is delicious. (laughs) Everything of the maple syrup has minerals in it, and the bacon has good fats if it came from a healthy pig, and the Brussels sprout has all of these antioxidants and sulfur that's going to help your body do this, and it'll also make you fart, which will make you laugh. And, you know, everything about this is delicious. Try this, not eat your vegetables. It's good for you. But I... I've gotten really sensitive lately to the gospel as an eat your vegetables. They're good for you. Go tell somebody about Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do because Jesus loved you and died for you. And do you not love Jesus enough to tell Do you not love other people enough to tell them about, isn't it the most loving thing you could ever do for someone to tell them how much Jesus loves them and that wasn't he died that, for their sins? Wasn't that the sermon last Sunday? I wasn't going to say that, but I, <laughs> I, I feel like... I just am really sensitive to not doing that to my kids right now and to other people. And maybe it's because I'm so focused on food and this food podcast right now. But but yes, we we obey and we tell other people about Jesus because we we have a dinner party and we have empty seats at it. And there's going to be an amazing meal of delicious food that's good for you, that's going to go unconsumed unless we fill all the seats at this table. And that's, you know, it's a parable, right? But also, I think a lot of us have, you know, been at a dinner table and somebody has to cancel at the last minute, or you throw a Christmas dinner and you try to invite a couple extra people and everyone already has plans. And so maybe your Christmas meal feels a little bit smaller than than you would have liked it to be because it is a joy to share a delicious Or you're my dad feast. like that one year you just invited everybody and we had to really? turn our garage into a dining room. <laughs> yeah. And 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 that is that's the impulse. That's the evangelistic impulse that we should have, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone should come. That book is it Dr. Seuss Hooper Humperdink? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So Hooper Humperdink, you guys, I I'm going to Google it really quickly while I'm talking. Cause you invite, I, everybody gets, the person writing the book get, invites. He's having a birthday party. He's having a birthday and just starts inviting people, except Hooper Humperdink. And not Hooper Humperdink. It is Dr. Seuss. And he goes through the entire alphabet and he invites Annie and Adam and Alex and then Betsy and Billy. And he, you know, like literally he goes through every letter of the alphabet. And then every couple of pages, he's like, Hooper Humperdink, not him. And then at the very end of the book, he says, a party as big and good as this is too good for anyone to miss. And so I, you know, I sort of think I will invite Hooper Humperdinck. I've read it a few times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's that's the thing. A party good and big as this Mm -hmm. is too good for anyone to miss. That's why we evangelize. And here's the eat your vegetables they're good for you part you you evangelize whether you feel like it or not right but you strive for the motivation of wanting to have as many people at at the good party as possible 
And I think that um, that's just where my, since we told people at the beginning, we talk about whatever's been on my mind this week. That's what's been on my mind is how do I, as much as possible in my own heart and then in the hearts, uh, cultivating in the hearts of my kids, seek to have the come join us at this joyful gathering where we eat and do things that are good for us because they're in accord with how we're created rather than um, rather than do it because it's right. And particularly with young kids, I mean, I have a child napping in her room right now who is literally locked in her room because she will not do what's good for her. <laughs> Whether, you know, I cannot, I can't reason her into doing what's good for her. I can train her body by being her parent into knowing and doing what's best by being her parent and more and more directive. But as our kids get older, especially, we have to be giving them taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this during church, that how many of the Psalms use words of physical satisfaction and enjoyment of things like satisfy me with your love lord there's just this physical correlation or sensation of we how we describe being satisfied in god's goodness can't help can't help but be joined together with what we experience physically in a good meal or in a good relationship Man. And on that note, we'll end at a reasonable time for the first time this year, I think. Can I throw something out? 40. Can I throw something out? Will you we... haven't, yeah, I mean, you haven't had much of an opportunity to throw anything I out know. This, this show, so. <laughs> um, how, what would you feel about doing a book giveaway? A book giveaway? Uh, sure, yeah. Okay. okay. I Isn't I've... that your new favorite book? It is my new favorite book. That's why I You're want... going to give it away? I, well, not does this it, one. Does it come with, oh, not this one. Okay. Uh, I, you guys, I bought, I posted this on our Instagram. I bought Nancy Guthrie's The One Year Praying Through the Bible for Your Kids. And it actually corresponds to the ESV Bible's One Year Bible Plan. You can hear me flipping through it on the sensitive microphone now. It's right next to the, right next to the microphone. So it, it has a Bible reading section for every day. And if you go through it every day, you would read the Bible in a year. I'm doing my other Bible reading plan, so I'm not doing that. But then there's a devotion that corresponds to something in the reading that day. And the point of the devotion is a closing prayer for a parent to pray on behalf of your kids. And it's not, I mean, it's not kid specific because what you're praying for your kids is what you're praying for for your own heart as well in so many ways. But... I, I've been honestly convicted almost every day when I've read the prayer, not just convicted for myself or for my kids, but also for myself. Like the very first day I did was January 21st. And it's talking about how God rescues us, Psalm 18. And she, in the devotion and then the prayer is when... Lord, I mistakenly put my confidence in coming up with a human solution or in manipulating a situation, but I know that's not what, and then blank, for your kid's name or for your own name, needs most. We need to experience rescue from God. 
And literally that day I had conversations with two friends where I didn't use the word manipulating, but I felt like they were struggling with life situations in their families where they were like, am I trying to control my husband and manipulate the situation essentially rather than trusting God to lead him and to provide for our family in a way that isn't me being the my big fat Greek wedding head on the neck person. And then you guys came home from judo, I think that very night, and Titus had had a really bad night at judo. And you, this is a kids need their moms and their dads thing. You're like, buck up, buddy. Sometimes we have a bad night. Sometimes the stronger guy wins and beats you and you didn't deserve to win. And I'm like, oh, I just want to hug him and pat him on his back and make him feel better. Can I give you a snack to make you feel better? And kids need both of those in balance, which is why they need moms and dads. But I also, I felt myself in my brain scrambling to find a way to rescue or protect him from from being beaten in fair competition which is absolutely good for him and so that it just came to mind a lot and i i don't know in what format we can figure that out okay if you guys on telegram have suggestions for how we can do a book giveaway of this and it's beautiful it's gold embossed on the outside and i just want to share it with people new listeners somehow get new listeners and then Everybody gets interdicted. Yeah, so you, we can now think about that. But I wanted to throw that out there before we sign up. And now we're not ending on a timely manner. Wait. Right? Well, sort of, mostly. Um, you guys, speaking of Telegram, I'll include that show link or the, the chat link, you know, the group link in the show notes for the show. We will also be linking Christopher Yuan's book and... Um, uh, you, if you want to hear us talk about Mart Schatzker's uh, interview last week, we can include the link to that show. Uh, we actually assigned it as homework because we thought it would make the discussion more interesting. Um, so yeah, we'd love to have you guys join us on Telegram. We're actually really rather, you guys are just joining each other. So all the fans kind of get together and meet new people and talk and discuss and have a good time. And that's super fun. Um, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram... Our last post was December thirteenth, so was it we really? haven't posted. Molly I've put just in the stories. Molly just posted something in the stories, so uh, she posts regularly in the stories. Actually, so we don't have much on our feed, but um, you can follow us on Instagram at toobusytoflush.com. All grammatically correct. You can uh, go to our website www.tb2f or the number two or toobusytoflush.com tb2f.com or too busy to flush.com you can find us at both you can send us a postcard you can buy swag we'll have uh, we'll, we'll we like to kick back a little bit of, like a couple pennies here and there so um, we do a, we'll put Christopher Yuan's book up there and you guys can and Mark Schatzker's and Mark Schatzker's we'll include that too both all the Amazon links I'll just copy them from last week's show how's that sound <laughs> um, you can also send us a postcard on our website you can send us an email at tb2f at pm.me or again, just jump on the chat group, the Telegram group, and um, we, we don't get censored there, which is kind of nice. I think you said we actually had something pulled off of Instagram recently, so um, we're on somebody's radar. Anyway, uh, I think that's all I have. Um, we will try to do, again, a weekly show, and um, I'm gonna, I don't really have time. I guess I have time to go back to the van for about 20 minutes. Okay. 
I'm just, you guys, I'm obsessed. There's a lot of little pieces that are coming together, and I'm really excited for the end product and all the things. So, um, that said, uh, boy, that's it. I don't have any, that's it, isn't it? Yep. Cool. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>